Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights, brought to you by 11FS, your friendly digital transformation agency. We help banks become truly digital. Fintech Insider has been downloaded in 159 countries, and we regularly hover near the top of the business category in iTunes. I think last week we were at the top of the business category in iTunes. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my 11FS colleagues, Jason Bates. Jason, say hello. Hello. And David Breer. David, say hello. Hello. And we have some world-class guests with us on this week's RegTech show. We have Nick Cook, who is the Head of Market Intelligence, Data and Analysis at the Financial Conduct Authority, aka the FCA. Nick, what does that mean? What, what do you do at the FCA? What do we do? So we are the um, market regulator in the UK. So our role is to make uh, the financial markets work well. Um, my role specifically is to lead, um, amongst other things, our RegTech work. And, um, and what we're looking to do there is encourage um, development and adoption of new technologies uh, to help firms meet regulatory requirements. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Nick. And we have Michelle Katix, the co-founder and CEO of both Portfolio Quest and Bankers Lab. Um, what, do you guys, what do you do over there? We pump out virtual lending portfolios so that we can train people to manage those in the bank and we can monitor and measure their skill sets, which is becoming a reg tech solution. Fantastic. Uh, very pertinent to today's show. How about that? How about that? Um, and we have the, the lovely Diana Paredes with us, the CEO and co-founder at Suede Labs. Diana, tell us a little bit more about you and what Suede Labs does. Um, yeah, so I come from banking. I actually have a background in the industry. And I realized that there was an opportunity with my expertise to, to turn that into software. And so that's how we started the company uh, almost three years ago now. It's been an exciting, exciting ride and uh, building effectively regulatory technology and pure software really for, for the industry and financial financial institutions. And last but by no means least, we have uh, Evgeny Lakota, the co-founder and CEO at Clausematch. Evgeny, good to have you with us. Hi, everyone. Uh, Clausematch is a platform which allows banks to implement internal governance documentation in, to address regulation. We're currently live with one top-tier bank, and uh, we're developing further solutions following the FCA tech sprint that we've done last year. Fantastic. So we have a packed house for the RegTech show. Uh, to start, I'm going to ask Nick to tell us, Nick, what is RegTech and why do we need it? That's a very good question. I'd say I think RegTech, well, we describe RegTech as uh, the application of technology to aid firms in meeting uh, their regulatory requirements. Uh, why do we need it? Um, we know that regulation, both in the UK and globally, can be complicated, it can be expensive, and we believe there's um, a strong both imperative and opportunity for technology to help firms um, meet their requirements more efficiently. Does anybody have anything to add on that? Because I think that was a great description. Sort of a little bit more about why we need RegTech. Like, why is regulation so painful? Well, I'll take that one. Yeah. Uh, what we see is lots of red tape. I think we've seen a lot of failures in the system. And the reaction has been to throw lots of red tape and process at that. So the more we can, we can automate that with your software platforms, the better. Um, and from our perspective, they're sort of, you know, process products and people that are fintech and our perspective is that we need you all to fix the the products and the processes and you know hopefully we can also work on the people piece which is a key failure point that the fca is working hard to regulate as well so is is reg tech an umbrella term for a number of different areas because obviously regulation comes in all shapes and sizes making sure banks have enough money making sure they don't screw their customers you know a whole host of different things 
are there distinct families of regtech solutions? Yeah, I mean, I think there there are a few. Um, so you would think security, for example, um, is actually quite you know a big part of regtech. The realities around uh, you know translating effectively the rules into technology is uh, is definitely part of regtech. Whether it's in the form of um, translating law and doing things that are much more streamlined in that space, or whether it is um, the actual uh, processing of the rules inside a bank or a financial institution. Um, so there is a, f- a few sectors that I can think of. I mean, other ones, I don't know, what else would you suggest? Yeah, th- there's a whole series of technology solutions that focus on how firms share data with one another, how firms share data with their regulators. I think that's another discrete category that yeah. we see a lot of um, a lot of development in as well. Uh, well, we, with our customers, we looked at the whole regulatory life cycle from regulation to data reporting. And there are a number of areas there that banks are concentrating on. First, when the regulate, uh, regulation comes out, you need to interpret that regulation and understand what it says and what obligations it has on the bank. Then you need to understand how it affects your internal governance, your internal conduct, what you need to do in order to comply with that regulation. And then you've got operational implementation of that regulation and those rules and implementation of controls, which are the points which are actually checked by regulators when they bring in auditors. And then the final piece is obviously regulatory reporting, which is what data you provide to the regulator on a regular basis to show that you're compliant. So can somebody give me an example of one of those bits? Because Evgeny, I think, just gave us the entire life cycle. But maybe just make, <laughs> which is good. Like, we need to know all of those bits. But maybe just to make it real, um, what would one of those look like? So somebody's got something that's a reg tech, and they would have done it with a manual process before. Or they would have done it, as Michelle said, with, with red tape before. How are they doing it differently now? What's what's the what's the, the flip? Yes, I think one of the, coming back to one of the things we were discussing just before, all of reg tech has in common the reality that uh, people are doing things extremely manually in that space. And so the reason there is this acceleration to adopt technology is because it allows for more transparency. So if, for example, um, someone used to collect their own compliance requirements in a spreadsheet, then that person leaves and then you cannot actually follow who has been responsible for deciding what for the company. Um, and all of this is in a spreadsheet that then if the regulation actually changes, uh, you don't have any you know, machine learning way effectively to follow it. You end up in a situation where things are not transparent enough for people or the regulators or auditors to really understand the traceability of that decision-making process. Uh, on the data side, there is a lot of really cool things going on because uh, so for our technology, we really focus on you know cleaning the data and doing a lot of analytics on that kind of stuff. And so the reality is that when people don't have access to their data, they also cannot really look at regulation um, as a way that can help them to not only save costs, but also generate more. More revenue, and so in many ways, the more access you have to uh, transparent information of your own balance sheet, the better it is for the whole industry. So you're saying something crazy that Microsoft Excel is not the cure-all for everything in compliance. <laughs> I didn't say Nick, that. Right? Surely, the, surely this can't be the case. <laughs> surely not. Um, I was going to say just another completely different area because I think this is a very broad church. This topic. So let's take um, how firms assess whether or not a sale was compliant, was suitable for a customer. Uh, historically would have been done through a lot of record keeping a lot of manual review of that we're now seeing firms deploying voice analytics technologies artificial intelligence technologies to monitor in real time whether a a sale is likely to be compliant and then using some behavior economics and other behavior analytics nudging staff from the banks to provide better information to the client at the point of sale to make sure the sale is compliant so a complete change in both the time at which the assessment takes place and how likely it is that the sale is going to be compliant in the first place. Uh, and what are the benefits of that approach, Nick? Like, what, what would that mean for both the banks and for the bank's customers or, or anybody in financial services and its customers? One would assume that the, the benefits would include that uh, more often com- uh, customers get better advice, more suitable advice um, from the bank's point of view. Uh, that reduces the conduct risks and other risks that they face and, and in some cases that therefore will reduce the amount of compensation they pay, may pay to clients further down the line if a, a missale is detected or could indeed affect the, the level of sanction or, um, or fine that they might get from a regulator if that's found out further down the line. 
So, Michelle, you described uh, what you do as upskilling humans using serious simulation so that they can better control the robots of the future. That, I, that what a sentence. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about how you're upskilling humans to, to control the robots of the future? I just want to keep saying that. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I want to see the film of that. I'll be honest with you. Right? Could be fun. Uh, that's a movie for sure. <laughs> well, it's, it is stunning when you step back and think about it. In high-stakes industries, like the, the airline industry, you don't fly an airplane until you've demonstrated that skill in a flight simulator, right? Mm -hmm. The same is true with surgeons, the military, etc. Back to the financial industry, we have little tick box e-learning, click through, the secretary probably clicked through it. So it's pretty stunning when we look at the gap that we have in the industry. So that's sort of one compliance issue. So hat tip to the FCA for sort of being really open to have that conversation with us about what we see as kind of the current state. And, and I think the reason behind that is that a lot of the current regulations and the structure is wrapped around all those legacy jobs that were process-oriented, doing the manual stuff that you're now automating. Yeah. So when you look at the current paradigm, it's like, okay, those manual jobs are going away. The old way that we tested people, which was by tick box, did you memorize the process? That's going away. So what's left? So the airplane, if we use that analogy, we built autopilot, right? I built autopilot in the bank with a fintech solution. You've built autopilot to make sure it's compliant, to check everything. But what about the pilot? So when there's a storm, what that's when you need the pilot. When there's a storm or a crisis, he can react quickly. And you look at the way that we manage the humans right now. We have very little data on their skill sets. And the training tools that we use are still pretty archaic, frankly. So yeah, I, I, if you wanted to learn how to manage a gigantic credit card portfolio, sit you in front of the computer, you gamify it, see how much money you make. I keep turning on and off various decisions so you can practice wow. all those different elements. I put you through a crisis. Do, do I get I, to I, level up? <laughs> do, do I get to get a new costume and a sword? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have had a client ask us, did they get to save a princess at the end? Yes. I'm playing a lot of Zelda at the moment, yes. so I can tell you that that, that, that would appeal to me massively. Uh, Diana. So, I mean, to your point, the obviously there is a lot of like cost efficiencies and, and uh uh, efficiency is just in the process, but I think there is also an element of purpose, right? And so a lot of the, I mean, to this day, I don't think we've gotten anyone fired, which is fantastic because that's not our purpose at all. But I think that um, there is a reality that people doing this inside financial institutions very manually don't like their jobs, right? So when you come with good technology and you upscale them, it becomes so much more fun to instead of just being obsessed with cost cutting or, you know, running after the regulation effectively and that feeling of how we're going to get to the next deadline, when you start actually being able to look at your bank in a different way and the opportunities that might be out there, I mean, it's it's just a huge benefit, right? And so I would say that um, even our most reticent users at the beginning end up being very excited by what they can do with the technology at the end. So, There's something so, really yeah. interesting. Um, some folks were saying to me earlier today that um, you know, compliance is often seen by the business side of banks as being the thing that gets in the way of doing business. Yeah. But actually, this can make doing business a lot better. And I think part of that comes to Michelle's point. That those, your interaction with compliance in the business side of any financial services organization is that once a year training you have where you're trying to skip to the quiz and then you try the quiz a few times till you get it right and then you don't think about it maybe a few bits go in but you haven't actually had that e-learning experience that's like kind of fun and engaging and also like helps me do my job better but then changes the nature of my job away from being a process monkey into being something that's enjoyable so we had um paul titterton on the last news show we did that went out this past monday and uh, Paul's a, an MD at Barclays who was saying, you know, what is the competitive advantage of a human in this more automated age? I think that's that's super interesting um, as an idea to kind of kick around. You know, what is that um, competitive advantage? Um, just taking a, a slight kind of change of tack. Nick, you, the FCA is kind of starting to encourage collaboration across the reg tech ecosystem. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you're collaborating with those companies and what you're seeing through those collaborations? Yeah, absolutely. So um, probably the most obvious example is our, our tech sprint event. So, um, or hackathons as they're more widely known. Can't um, say hack, surely. <laughs> Indeed. So, so we've run three of these events. Um, and these came about from us talking to the ecosystem and finding out actually what role should we play as a regulator. There's a 
And then there's an established ecosystem that we're trying to now connect into and collaborate with. So what role should we play? And the role a lot of people pointed to was you should convene groups to collaborate around problems. You should help articulate some of those problems and you should give us some steer on whether the solutions that we're coming up with are viable, are the kind of things that you as a regulator would be interested in. And you should try and help overcome some of the inertia perhaps that might exist between groups that may not naturally collaborate. So we run these hackathons. We've run three so far. They've been really engaging events for us to understand actually the the wealth of expertise and ideas that exist across the ecosystem and have been a really good way for us to, to shine a light on an issue, to get people talking about an issue and to accelerate some of the innovation and technology development that might solve some of those problems. Fantastic. On May the 3rd, we've actually got um, a FinTech Insider special from your recent um, kind of um, money and mental health uh, tech sprint that you did. Yeah. But I guess ultimately, RegTech could lead to a whole torrent of data coming your way. If if there's real-time liquidity, you know, measures from every bank heading towards the PRA, how does that work with an organisation that you know isn't a technology organisation to start with, I guess? Yes, I think it's a really good question. So I think when we were looking at RegTech, say, 18 months ago, we were focused very much on RegTech for adoption into financial services firms. And I think over the last year, um, ourselves and others have started to look at actually how do we use RegTech? So how do we cope with larger volumes of data? How do we use machine learning, big data techniques, advanced analytics techniques? And how do we embed some of those solutions into the way in which we regulate financial markets? So we are, aside from tech sprints, we're starting to trial some technologies internally. We're starting to undertake some research with different academic bodies to really look ahead and say, actually, how do we become a more technology-enabled regulator too? That's a really interesting idea. So I don't know if you know, uh, Rob Ali, who used to work for the Bank of England, is now at MIT, is actually looking at how can uh, the regulatory community start to move towards tech standards and API standards for if you're going to report to this regulator, here's our API standard that you connect into. Imagine that, because I don't think anybody in the industry, the regulator, the financial services companies, really likes how reporting works. I don't think there's anybody going, God, God, that report. <laughs> was fun. <laughs> yeah. So people people love that stuff. But I think you know tech sprints and things like that. If you don't know what the, that API needs to look like, and people aren't used to using it, tech sprints are a great great way to, to kind of um, start with that. And um, as an example of a, a tech sprint, I mean, again, you mentioned at the outset you were in one recently. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that tech sprint was and kind of what you guys did at that event? Yeah, actually, it was uh, really cool to see from uh, this initiative from FCA because uh, typically a regulator is completely unapproachable, but uh, here it was completely the opposite. Uh, so the the whole event was about collaboration with other companies, and uh, we thought, well, we have this interesting technology, amazing technology that uh, one of the banks is using already for their internal governance. What else can we do to deliver value to them? And uh, there was another company, Reg Delta, at TechSprint, uh, which is interpreting regulation uh, in an automated way by using natural language processing, machine learning. And um, we thought, well, if we marry the two together, uh, we can automate the actual understanding of the impact of regulation on internal governance. So that's what we did, and that's what we uh, currently going live with that impact assessment piece is usually an army of humans that then even you know, will disagree with the other army of humans that are external and there's so much subjectivity that comes into that process to really have some clarity on what actually needs to be done uh, I think is really helpful but then at the same time I think Nick you were pointing to a moment ago the business of how regulation is created as well can benefit from reg tech because at the moment it, it does create legal locking documents that people then interpret rather than more specific and technical standards in terms of these are the things that you should do if, if you're increasingly becoming a more automated organization how do you use tools like clause match and how do we democratize uh regulation and how do we democratize kind of the sensation of that and i know that's something uh, diana you've talked about a lot how do you democratize regulation what, what did you mean when you, you originally said that I think there is a reality that um, 
around regulation, uh, people that have a certain experience sometimes make it a bit more mystical than it needs to be. And, um, <laughs> and that's not necessary in, in many instances. And I think that um, my experience in banking and what I decided to actually go out and democratize through so software um, was very much the eons of conversations and meetings and people that you invite to come and talk about certain things. And actually, there's not much conclusion at the end of it. But it turned out that at the when it came down to, you know, approving a trade or approving something that you had to do, you actually end up with a very black and white decision inside the bank. So streamlining the process of that mystical conversation to actually the, you know, black and white line that you that you end up with, you can do it in so much of the rules. Not all of the rules, and I think we all agree on that, but the pieces that, you know, could be a bit more transparent and a, more, a bit more straightforward, we should we should really work towards that a lot more. It, so it seems really interesting to me that that reg tech can take uh, written regulation and then convert it in some way into a form of system. Yeah. But obviously we have a principles-based regulatory framework here, which very much is, is somewhat open to interpretation so that it's not gamed. Mm -hmm. So how does, how does a principles-based regulatory code then turn into some kind of computer code? So, like we were saying, there's actually quite a lot of the rule that um, that becomes very clear when you take out the the conversation from it. Um, and so, the bit that is more principles based and where you know it's, you actually want people to have a proper thought process about their own actions, I don't think that that contradicts at all the rest of the rules where things can be a bit clearer or can be followed by you know simpler machine learning kind of approaches in so the, there's in kind the of format. a spectrum there are things that are easier to automate and there are things that are actually cultural yeah. and actually um, identifying which of those are easier to automate is probably something that software can help us do ah that's a rule I can follow that and I can is, is that it, yeah exactly but I think it's also it's not just around principles it's also about the part of the rules where there is actually a competitive advantage and so that's the stuff you can't automate. And so if you can remove the burden on the things that are manual and that should be the same from one bank to the other or from an FI to the other, you're doing quite a big, a big saving for the industry and you make the process more transparent for a regulator who's trying to audit these entities effectively. When we looked at these regulations, what we noticed is that you know, a lot of the, the past way, the, the mystical part, is that it was, it's backward looking. Right, you do an audit that's backward looking, it's static. And the conversation is, here's a backward looking view of information which was manually assembled, <laughs> hopefully everything we need. Now we're gonna have a conversation about a decision which is fundamentally a forward looking decision. Right, so that there's a mismatch. So I think the exciting part for me about RegTech is the part that brings something forward looking as a prediction or some guidance based on machine learning, looking at all these things. So for me, that transition that we can have. So so at the FCA, your ability to start to look at, you know, different data feeds through APIs and analyze that, I think, I think touches that piece of, yes, there's the part that's automated, but the the rest of it will be informed by tools that fundamentally are forward-looking, right? So, so in my case, I'm just trying to give you a forward-looking prediction of the people piece, right? This team, they're rubbish at forecasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these guys, they just don't get, these guys are hot. They create great products. They are, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. They're great in a crisis. I'm just trying to give that forward-looking piece, but we look at all the rest of the stuff that you all are doing, and it's, that part is very exciting to me. Yeah. It's uh, interesting to me that, um, RegTech is and regulatory mandatory spend is often the thing that's like 80%, 90% of any financial institution's budget. And it's bemoaned like, we can't do the things we want because we've got to spend all this money on regulation mandatory stuff. But then surely RegTech would get more of a focus. I wonder why that's not been the case. Do you think it's do you think it's the case that um, people just aren't aware of the solutions? Do you think it's just a case that um, they are looking at it and they've not come to market yet, or just is there so much to do? It's really really hard. That's that's why. And actually, you know, we're, we're, when we're sort of talking about implementing something like machine learning across everything in a banking organization, where they're still trying to get all of their data into one source, is is pretty difficult to do. You know, I think the the points around you know clearing up the things that are clear cut. You know, taking out the the black and the white from that and leaving the sort of shades of grey, which requires sort of human intervention, is is absolutely the the sweet spot for this as well. And it it kind of feels like the the conversations we have around artificial intelligence a lot 
not really. It kind of gets into that space where you kind of have humans doing what humans do best uh, and giving them the the actual bandwidth to be efficient at doing it. I really like the points that you were making though as well about kind of becoming more forward thinking. You know, it kind of feels the more data, the more instantaneous we can gain access to the data, the more we move into, uh, you know, less about what was done that was wrong and more about preventative measures in the immediate sense today, which is ultimately the best thing that we want. We want better outcomes, don't we? Not just uh, more forensic investigations in terms of how <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, to pick up two of those points, actually, I think our, our primary use of these reg tech tools ourselves at the moment is on more forward looking predictive analytics. Um, unsurprisingly. But I think to pick up your point about why why is it that we don't see as much investment or focus from the industry, I think in part, uh, we certainly found this in relation to regulatory reporting, there's a bit of a misplaced assumption that everything in a competitive market must generate competitive advantage for the firms that are participating in that competitive market. And in fact, a lot of what firms are doing to comply with regulation generates zero competitive advantage for them. And really, they're the areas where we would love to see firms collaborating more to come up with shared ideas, shared solutions, because actually that, that's what's going to drive efficiency across the market. So in the same way that payment systems and you know, industry infrastructure is there, would you see a shared reg tech platform that, uh, that connects all of the major players? So it's definitely something that a number of, sort of ecosystem members have, have suggested to us. And I think you can look at examples overseas where you have seen the growth of shared utilities um, shared KYC utilities, those sorts of things. I think the the resistance or the or the fear that you see from some market participants is is that not just creating a new legacy that over time will also become inefficient and will still create lock in and will still create some of the downsides of, but at of least the current system. The same if inefficiency for everybody, then nobody's disadvantaged, right? You know, they, the idea of a kind of a level playing field, I guess, at least, wouldn't it? So, And you could have said the same recently about, you know, clearing bank access and access to the central bank. Like, sometimes getting access to the to those shared utilities is hard for a reason, because it should be hard, because this stuff is really, really um, important and critical infrastructure. I, doesn't I thought, stop. I thought you were going to use the, the opportunity to get excited about Clearbank then again. Is that <laughs> I'm still really excited about yeah, Clearbank. Okay, okay, just asterisk. Okay. I'm still extremely excited. So, but shared KYC system is is one that you, you kind of briefly mentioned there, and it's something we've seen in the Scandinavian countries. We've seen in Estonia. Uh, it's something that that type of shared infrastructure that is big cost for everybody built as a utility doesn't stop a small company from innovating around how they do KYC. It just means that everybody else that struggles with it may have reduced some cost and may have simplified their process. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I do want to say, I do think RegTech has a lot of attention, though. Um, and, you know, for a company like ours, we've been able to grow organically and not asking any favors from, from anyone because our work, you know, the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day. And so I think that uh, RegTech is getting a lot of attention. But I think that it's also, you kind of have to, you know, pay your dues and prove yourself. And so when you get to that stage, it also allows you to, to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely bound to. Because like, so yeah. when you look at the investment that everybody's having to spend year in, year out, kind of moving legacy IT systems forward to meet these regulations, That's then it's, right. it's kind of like, I will literally do anything if I was a bank CEO to make this go away to a certain degree in terms of make it easier for my staff to do what they should be doing. So. Mm-hmm. I think if we look at uh, the number of regulatory changes coming on top of banks every year now, it's been growing steadily, almost doubling every year over the last eight years. There are over 50,000 changes that banks have to look at and implement on a global scale on a yearly basis. So I think the first phase was, okay, we've got some regulation coming, we're going to hire some people, and then more regulation, we're going to hire some more. But now we're at a point where the fines are so high and the cost of these people are so high, we don't have enough people to actually address the problem. Especially in a cost-cutting market, right? If you've got ever more regulation coming at you, the answer can't be keep hiring more people till you know, and throw people and money at it because that's, that's not going to work. It becomes like a like hug to death kind of situation. <laughs> it's great for the economy, though. It's putting people in jobs, at least. So. Well, kind of. Not the right jobs. I think they hate their jobs. So, so. But, but, I mean, you look at general data protection regulation, PSD2, MIFID2, there is just so many things that people are still like, how on earth am I ever going to get compliant with these things? And actually, there are reg tech solutions out 
out there that can do some of that for you in a lower cost way. And I don't know, it seems to me that this isn't the water cooler conversation at the exact level that it should be. Maybe I just have a, a, an unfair perspective and um, maybe you guys see it very, very differently to me. But it, like, you can't give this subject enough focus because it's so, so critical. I guess that's where I'm coming from. I think it's definitely water cooler conversation. Definitely in the last year, it's become much more... Um, obviously, we would like it to be. Everyone is talking about Rectech all the time, the whole time in the office. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I think very senior people are, are looking yeah. at the possibilities of leveraging on better technology. They might not understand how the technology works and like what it can really be doing, and that's why this approach of like the proof is in the pudding is actually quite important because if you can demonstrate certain things quickly, people are quite happy. But yeah, I do think it's very high up in, in the conversations um, in the in the street. <laughs> I, I think one of the difficult dynamics in this is usually predicated on how people make business cases within these organizations. So, you know, most things, major programs are about sales, unfortunately. So, you know, the idea of, of kind of uh, implementing a, a large scale transformation to put in some of these tools, albeit some of them aren't as, as costly as, as others is quite a difficult thing to justify when you're actually talking about uh, operational efficiencies in terms of the, the setup. And I guess the other the flip side of that are the cost-cutting programs. I'm interested to guys who sell into banks. Are you selling into regulatory and compliance functions, which are therefore bringing technology to bear, which reduce the size of their empire? We sell to the visionaries. <laughs> Anywhere. Um, thing with regulation is that it affects so many departments in a bank now, right? And so what's interesting of all with the bigger banks is that they're so clustered that you can go in one part of the bank and someone tell you that you're crazy and you go to another part of the bank and they'll be like, this is like the best <laughs> thing on earth. We need to buy it. So I would say that, and what was interesting is I remember when we were at the Barclays Accelerator, we had a person from Dell that came over and he was telling us how enterprise software works. And he literally told us, you just go to everybody. <laughs> So I was like, if that's how Dell sells, I'm going to sell the same way. So I think it's more about finding the people who are pro-innovation, and, and that's how, how it kind of works. But I think, I think you touched on a very important point that a lot of the reg tech firms we talk to don't have that access, cannot find the decision makers, or if they can, the decision maker is reticent to take a risk on an innovative piece of technology from a startup or from you know a relatively um, immature business. And you're talking about some core aspects of firms' infrastructure, like the provision of data to a regulator and deploying something innovative into there. It comes with some risks. And I think actually what we're starting to see is more and more reg tech firms working together to build a solution that does feel more credible, does feel more rounded, does feel safer, and then being able to sell those into some of the bigger institutions. But this is why actually the the work that the FC is doing or or different regulators that are pro this innovation is really to be commended because, and I think I was on this panel with Michael Hart. It was actually at the tech sprint, yes. So where he always speaks about legacy people. So Michael Hart is the chief innovation officer at Barclays. And uh, he always speaks about legacy people. and, um, And I think that that's a very real thing, right? And so if you can through a regulator, get better access. That's fantastic. Uh, Obviously in a fair way and and all of this, but I think that there is a reality where the regulation itself actually requires uh, FIs to have contingency plans, all sorts of things that that would make them reticent to take a risk on on a young company uh, versus one that has been around for 50 years and 100,000 people and and all of that. So it's it's more about inspiring uh, people to take that jump and adapt to, to the innovations that are happening in the street, I would say. I agree. Uh, when, when we sold to a bank, we had to find a champion and a visionary uh, who is a senior person in the bank who can see what the regulation and, you know, what regulation requires from a bank and what the future vision of compliance with that regulation and not something that is uh, an incumbent solution which has been there for 20 years and can't cope with the number of regulations coming out. But then you have so many stakeholders in compliance and regulatory compliance. You have to sell literally to the entire board of the bank. Um, you have to go to chief audit officer, chief com- controls officer, to chief compliance, chief risk officer. And you have to, it has to trickle down to people who actually do the job as well. So we sold across the globe to multiple business units, multiple heads of different uh, business functions. Uh, it's 
difficult, but it's possible if you have someone who believes that this is what it needs to look like. But that's quite a big bet for them, given the the changes to the law and you know criminal offences around banking now and personal responsibility, the SMR sort of regime. I guess bringing in a new system, you know, from a young startup could be a, a career or a freedom limiting move if you're not not careful. Well, I mean, we've had people promoted because the technology <laughs> is so good. I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> But, but I think that the, um, even with big solutions and big technology companies, they can also go bust, right? And so the way that the industry mitigates for those risks, is, there's loads of ways to mitigate for those risks with the big guys, and you basically use the same ones for the smaller guys. And, and I think that the reality is that the cost saving is just massive, and it will justify trying something new, uh, even if at a small scale at the beginning, but then that you can, you know, grow into vertically or horizontally. Yep, and also if you, if you look at incumbent solutions where take a big solution, it's a three, five-year pro- implementation project, which is unfortunately not enough time today uh, to actually implement new regulation. Uh, Mifid 2 is upon us in, what, nine months, and not a single bank is ready. And which incumbent can actually deliver a solution in nine months uh, into a bank to actually comply? So we see that a lot of senior people are actually saying, well, if you look at uh, different solutions out there, actually it's easier to take a smaller part which addresses a particular problem, smaller uh, startup technology, uh, which, which significantly reduces how much we need to do to actually comply. In our case, we hopefully we're paving the way for you because... Many times in, in our clients, uh, shout out to DBS, who you know is very innovative in Asia. You know, we said, look, the back office are typically the last who get to participate in the innovation culture, right? When we talk about the cool fintech stuff, it's always the cool kids are always you know front office, the at, you know customer experience. So it's an opportunity. You know, we say this is an opportunity for the back office to experiment. So our beta test, we said. You know, we gave awards for bug reports, right? And we, we almost had to plant stuff for them to find because, you know, we were ready, but still. Mm-hmm. And then we said, you know, we want to, you know, suggest different features and functions that you want. And we gave awards for that and then showcased that within the bank because we sensed that desire for the culture change. There is a desire for these champions you're talking about yeah. to, to test things. To step up. Right? So I said, look, we don't, you know, we're low risk. I don't use any of your data um, I don't touch the bank. All we're doing is it's training. What can we break, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it. We've been trying to use that to support them as just an industry advocate, as a way to give that mindset of being a tester and going through a beta test and see how that feels as a technical team and participate in user feedback and testing. And yeah, we're really pleased with that result, and we were really proud of the people who are our beta testers for their their activities is a a kind of a major part of i guess all of this conversation really the fact that in most organizations people believe that sort of regulation is one department's job rather than kind of the entirety of the organizations i I know from you know many companies that i've uh, either worked at or worked with then you know regulation is is almost the the bit you do after you've figured out how you uh, how you want to do the thing you want to do. So, what what do you guys think about that? Do you think it's a you know a departmental job, or do you think it should be embedded in everybody's role? I mean, I think it is embedded in everyone's roles, whether they want to accept it or not. <laughs> but it is. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think maybe it's also a cultural thing. So maybe banks that are more you know markets driven are going to be having that kind of approach. But the ones that are more retail kind of clients of ours, they they look at regulation as something very much across the board because obviously there's a lot of implications of like, you know, GDPR, customer data, all of that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, maybe it's a cultural thing uh, more than, than anything else, but um, it's everyone's job. It's actually things like SMR, actually, they really brought the conversation back to all the way to the board, right, about proper sign-off and personal liability. So this is not 2008 anymore. You have to, you have to do what you have to do. Mm. But I, I guess it's, um, you know, to, to pick a few examples, really, if, if you look at something like PSD2 yeah. and the impact that that can have so broadly on the, the banking landscape, the amount of people that you talk to within banks who haven't even read the, the, the document in its entirety, mm-hmm. you know, that feels to me like a, like a fundamental lack of an engagement with something that can be so fundamental to what you do on a day-to-day basis. So what is it that we can do to, 
you know, I guess regtech is making regulation more sexy to a certain degree. But how can we? Uh, how can we sort of make? I think we might have just got a name for the episode right there. <laughs> uh, but but I, I, I think like, is sexy. What, yeah. What what can we do to? I guess make it kind of ingrained to understand the regulation because if you understand the regulation, you can do your jobs better. Oh, it's simple. Follow the money. <laughs> no, if they make more money or save money from your solutions. Yeah. It's sexy, right? So, you know, in our case, if you're trying to transform the bank and figure out how to, you know, get the right people in the right jobs, you're trying to figure out how to optimize your workforce, let's show that if you're going to manage the portfolios better, we're trying to look at return on investment, you know, in terms of how, you know, how did you decrease losses, etc. In your cases, I'm sure that there are clear metrics that you can show them. So, I think money's So RegTech now has a business case and and turns out like if you have to do that reg tech mandatory spend anyway, why not have a business case to that that isn't just, hey, I got a tick in the box, but actually here's a return from something I had to do anyway. That's like a, a double whammy. Well, I think you bring out a very interesting point, uh, and that, that's actually how banks approached regulation and regulatory change, and that's uh, completely in silos. Uh, there is a regulatory change which is coming, uh, and I remember that from my days in Morgan Stanley, you know, there was a Dodd-Frank regulation, and suddenly, because we're a global bank, we had massive innovations of trades from U.S. to Europe because U.S. was more stringent on reg- on regulatory compliance. But then MIFID one came, and, and then we had to unbundle everything we've done and go back. And that's because the implementation is now done in silos. I think the industry tries and wants to get to a point where the implementation is uniform across the bank and not in silos, regulation by regulation. And you need to look at how do you standardize the data? How can you see across your entire bank and across all the regulations which are coming into force? how to comply with the suite of regulations, not just in silos. I think coming back to that, it was somebody's job idea and the silos idea. We're seeing that difference in in culture and organization as we move towards a lean model because it was traditionally you organized the silos and you had centers of excellence was the thing everybody got really, we're going to build a center of excellence and we're going to have loads of efficiencies because we have a center of excellence and then we're going to offshore the center of excellence to make it cheaper and then nobody understands what the center of excellence does. So now it's like, it's a center of question marks and I think that model has maybe worked for the time when it was very process driven organization but now actually having the experience and having people that can learn from each other with different expertise on a given project that can come together is quite a hard thing to do but becomes something that we need to possibly see a bit more of I don't know it's funny I remember having that exact conversation when I was working at a bank when they were establishing a center of excellence and my point was I'd quite like everybody to be excellent if that's alright not just this this few people are in this department if that's okay, but um, they didn't see the funny side, I have to say. It's frustrating because um, the the natural model for a smaller organization is that everybody has to do a bit of everything and they're able to grow quickly and you become, by default, just by accident, you become good at more things and you can ship faster and you can work faster. We get away from that, but then the worst part is we design in the opposite direction of that. And for some things, you know, having that rigid command and control structure works. But I think in this environment that's moving so quickly, Quickly, when acceleration of new regulations is, is getting you know, ever faster, it becomes increasingly difficult. Yeah, so one thing that is interesting to think about, and I've probably noticed that a lot more outside as an entrepreneur than when I was inside the industry, is that human nature and people have actually quite a big role to play in all of these things. And so if you give people more time without having to do these manual things, if instead of having to sit next to a computer to make sure that they deliver something to the regulators for days, they can actually have more time to do something else, they will come up with a much fun, like a much more fun way to work as well. And that's where the value comes out as well. So human beings want to feel like they matter. They want purpose. And so when you speak about enabling people with technology, it is literally about that. It's taking people who are smart and instead of them being there pressing buttons F5, 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 they can actually do things with uh, with their brain that is more exciting. pretty awesome though, isn't it? Well. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. Maybe it's just me that loves F5. But, and I guess that leads back to simulation, which I'm fascinated by both as a training mechanism and as a test of competence you know going to meet a regulator in an oak lined room and having a you know an in-depth conversation is one thing but very different from here's the terminal and here's what's going on your bank prove to me you can run this sucker 
it seems a it seems a very different world. Did Mr. T just walk into the he room? Did. <laughs> it's like a video game. That's yeah. like, that's how cool Ragtech is. <laughs> exactly. Well, so I love that movie in the was it late eighties, the War Games one. It sounds very much like that. What you're doing, it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thermonuclear bank breakdown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, those things are done very often, right? So, and, and you've just take you've taken that to another level in terms of you know what would you do in this and play those scenarios out, right? Yeah, that's right. In in our platform, I mean, it's numerical simulation, which uses synthetic data that we generate. So we can tweak the parameters so it looks like your portfolio and do whatever we want with it. So there's, you know, a trillion possible outcomes, for example. And it's so much fun to watch people do that. But the metrics I get about them are just fascinating. But the troubling part for me is, as we do automate everything, and you said, yes, human beings want to do something more interesting. As a former risk executive and a banker, I mean, I hate to say it, we're not there yet. Who's going to program the robots? If you fat finger that, it's going to cause a lot of problems, right? So a little slip of the finger and and you've programmed it wrong, it's not going to be good. So who's monitoring that? Who's standing there watching the data feeds to detect a change in the trend or a mistake? Surely we need an army of auditors that are external to come in and no. Is that not what we need? No. no. Okay. The robots have to watch the robots. <laughs> That's I the think, future. I think upskilling humanity is, is, a, is a big, big need. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not alone. I mean, if you look at all these uh, human resource reports around the world, every industry is going through this. This It's a global phenomenon, right? It's a mega trend that all these industries are sh- shedding the manual jobs and finding that the strategic and high cognitive skill sets just aren't there. So we're, we're not alone. We're probably a bit behind. So other industries are moving fast and you see a lot of cool ed tech stuff out there. So, but we're way behind. I mean, we're way behind. So I talked to a guy who used to, you know, fly fighter jets. And he said, when I was in the military and I was training, you know, you'd go into the flight simulator for the F-15 or whatever. He said, if you, if you crashed this in the simulator, that was no kidding. Like you would lose your job. Like you could not even crash the virtual F-15. So they they take it so seriously, right? We just don't have that same capability yet in our industry. But you can crash the like with a big trade and and it might not come out till years later. Sometimes people will never know. Thank you. No, and if you look to the some of the biggest failures in the industry, ultimately they've been human failures Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? They most of the they haven't really been process failures. Processes are just really manual and some of the mistakes are usually typically pretty immaterial, but they just kind of add up and cost a lot of money for the bank and slow things down from a business perspective. But the spectacular crashes have typically been a human failure. And there's something about some of these things being so rare, you know, the dial that actually never changes day to day. It never changes. It's there all the time until the day where it does change. You know, it reminds me of um, of the Netflix Chaos Monkey and Chaos Gorillas. Have you heard of these things? So Netflix, because they don't want their infrastructure to go down actually have a an internal application that randomly turns off systems and indeed data centers so they're actually building uh, a resilient system that they actually introduce problems into so that people don't sort of get complacent and sit back you know i'd love to um here you go here's the here's the startup idea the, like the regulation chaos monkey we'll <laughs> we'll add in some you know my new name <laughs> Here we go. We've got a new nickname for Nick here. We'll add in some compliance failures, and you have to find them. You know, it's the mystery shopper. It's the the person that uh, there's a reg tech textbook. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's an interesting idea. I mean, some some firms have talked to us about would we do a tech sprint that was a kind of capture the flag type uh, event where there are risks, issues, failures hidden in amongst complex systems and test to what extent different reg tech solutions can find those yeah. so yeah we've, we've heard similar no one's called it a chaos monkey well, yeah. say, uh, so I think you can still brand that it's, it's all about slight, marketing isn't it's it a, <laughs> it's a slightly different concept I think that's the thing so capture the flag is like the data's there go find it go find that needle in the haystack versus you're just running your systems you're running your systems you're running your systems bang something goes wrong how did you cope with it and that's harder to test for because you have to kind of be doing it but it's, it's an interesting one to think about but it's like that it's like the war game or how do you test someone who works at uh, security at an airport if everyone who comes through isn't smuggling something? Mm-hmm. You know, you need some people who you know are smuggling and that you need to catch. 
in order to to keep in the game because you know this is this is part of it. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see that. But I mean, an, a nice thing with technology is that it's really it can be really an enabler of transparency and accountability. And I think that's actually one of the the good ways to. When you think of a stress scenarios in the black swans, if people feel like they could go to jail for real, I think it also helps uh, to prevent those because it focuses your mind a little bit, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah, right. That's why gamifying it's so fun because you could actually do the opposite rather than it going wrong. Um, when you have gamified it, you do the opposite because it's gone wrong because you've managed to create that scenario. You're actually rewarded. That's a good thing because you found the thing that broke or that you, you you found that back. You might have been just an actor in the system but you happened upon the thing that broke the system. Ta-da, I'm going to reward you for that. You've completely inverted the the reward mechanic from from the system. Because I remember um, working for a bank and, and there's... Uh, Several folks would tell me that going into the meeting with a regulator was a no-upside meeting. You either came out exactly where you were or something had gone wrong. And, and, but I don't think that has to be the case. We can change that language and tech sprints are, are the beginnings of doing that. I just wondered from around the room, um, we're up against it from time. So what are your final thoughts? Like if you, Diana, if you could leave our listeners with something, what, what would it be? from a reg tech perspective? The reg tech sector needs a lot more innovators and innovation because there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of regulation coming out. Uh, I think there's enough work for everyone to, to be out there. And in many ways, as you find that the industry is shrinking, it might not be as much fun to be a banker or an asset manager anymore. So I think that the, the spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship and to trial that out outside of a big institution or an institution itself is actually quite exciting for, it's a very exciting prospect, I would say to to innovate and where can people find out more about suede labs uh, suede.org or uh info at suede.org and um, michelle any final thoughts my recent tagline has been harness the power of the ecosystem whether you're a regulator or a bank or an entrepreneur we're banding together with other companies who are gathering a lot of forensic data about employees through gamification etc you know collaborators like fca mas in singapore but we're finding that the sum of the parts is is pretty amazing in this case. Fantastic. And where can people find out more about what you're doing, Michelle? www.bankerslab.com. Fantastic. And Nick, any final thoughts? Yeah, so I think a really exciting time for RegTech. We're, um, we're, we are seeing a lot of interest. I think you talked earlier about why are people not more interested. We had seven and a half million people interact with our last tech sprint on Twitter. So we can see there is a lot of interest. That's amazing. Um, so I think what I would say to that is don't assume that just because you haven't historically had a relationship with a regulator that we don't want to hear from you. So if you're an innovator, come and talk to us. You've got some good ideas. They can be wacky. They can Chaos be monkey, sure. tell you. I know. I'm there, I'm there. I'm there. I made notes on Chaos monkey. <laughs> but yeah, it's time to come and talk to us. We're, we're really interested to hear how we can collaborate with different groups to try and uh, improve some of the problems and some of the issues. And so where would somebody get in touch? Um, so you can contact regtech at fca.org.uk or type in regtech FCA into Google and you'll find us. Fantastic. And uh, Evgeny, um, any final thoughts? Yeah, I guess my thoughts would be around ecosystem and uh, I think the, the industry will grow. RegTech will become huge. But in terms of the ecosystem, we're seeing a lot of uh, startups coming together and actually connecting different solutions together to bring something of value to the customers. In fact, we're part of a POC with four. There are four startups in a POC connecting four different technologies together. Fantastic. And where can people learn more about ClauseMatch? Um, give me a call or www.clausematch.com. Fantastic. David, anything to add before we close this one? Yeah, I think clearly, you know, RegTech is a hugely hot space and uh, I think that will continue to grow. I, I think my overarching feeling on, on regulation really is that banks need to stop using that as the bar for customer experience level and really start looking at how they really sort of stretch their legs over and above that to uh, to really sort of deliver something unique. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what you do next, guys. Why not pull vault over the line and do it well, huh? Indeed. Um, so <laughs> thanks, everyone. Uh, great show. Really enjoyed it great insights thanks everyone who has listened along as well um, if you like what you've heard subscribe to our podcast leave us a review tell a friend it helps people discover us and check out 11fs.com if you want to know more about what the team who bring you fintech insider do all the time all right until next week thank you <laughs>